welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor and it is fabulous to have you with us today for the next two hours. Don't go away because we've got a great program lined up. Hunty, welcome. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. How you doing? Good, mate. Really good. That's had no troubles today? <laughs> yes, but there are teething problems with my new computer, but they're all sorted out, so I'm happy. Yeah, those listeners who come with us on the journey every week will know last week Hunty had problems with no, his computer. No computer last week. It was dead. It was pretty hard going too, but today we've got everything going and going well. What a beautiful spring day it is outside Indeed today. Indeed it is. Yeah, really, really nice. Love spring. I reckon the best times in the world are autumn and spring. Yep. And we're in spring in Australia. But I'll tell you this much, Hunty, temperatures during the day says we're headed for a stinker this summer. Mm, indeed we are. You got your air conditioning working? I do, thank you. How you about prepared? you? Can you afford to run it? <sighs> I was about to say you prepared to pay the power bill. Uh, <laughs> look, I, th- I think this is where we're down to with air conditioning. We will run it at night when we can't sleep. Got it. But it won't be run during the day. But... Here in the studio, when we're here, it's got to run because the equipment won't work if it gets too hot. Is That's that right? That's exactly. Once again, it gets to 40 degrees, it turns off. And it could get 40 degrees in here real fast, well, real quick. Well, the equipment that I've got piled up on my desk, it's all it's all heat producing. It's quite quite cocoonish over here. Okay. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. Yep. And Hunty, like he does, is going to start with a prayer. Thank you, brother. Certainly. Definitely, Father. Thank you again, Lord, for this chance to be on Faith Event this afternoon. And thank you for my mate, Lloyd. Please bless him as he opens the Bible and, and delivers a message from you, Lord. And as always, Lord, I pray for our listeners. Lord, please grant them a very special and abundant blessing, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful that you came and died and saved us. And this afternoon, we want to hold you high in our community. So thanks for being with us, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, mate. This day in history, September 5, mm. 248th day of the year. I'm about to turn 60. I'm not going to tell you what date because Hunty says I've got to keep that a secret. You do have to keep it a secret, but I know. <laughs> Everybody else Everybody seems to know knows. too. Yes. Uh, 1622, September 5, a hurricane sinks a Spanish galleon called the Atocha with the loss of 260 lives. That's awful. Listen to this. And $500 million in gold and 50 feet of water. Wow. 40 tonnes of gold. Wow. 32 kilograms of emeralds. It's the most valuable shipwreck ever found. It was found in 1969 by the name of a guy by the name of Mel Fisher. He brings all this gold up, and then the, the, the Florida government, whose waters were in, made a claim on it, and they said, we've got to pay 25% at least of that gold back to us, huh. which was a bit of a rot. Huh. So he took it through to the high court and won. Good on him. But he's dead, so all that gold's Was not. it international waters or was it in... No, it's in Florida waters. In Florida waters, okay. But as I said, he's dead and so that's no good to him now. That's it. Uh, September 5, 1666, a great fire. The Great Fire of London no. ended. Wow. Started on September 2 in a bakery in Pudding Lane. Don't you love that? <laughs> Pudding Lane. Pudding Lane. Yeah. Sounds like the sort of place you'd live. Yeah, I can enjoy that. Pudding Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Thousands of buildings disappeared, including St. Paul's, but only six lives were lost. Now, we, we commiserate those six lives, but it's amazing, isn't it? This fire that swept through London like nothing they'd ever seen through these narrow cobblestone streets full of wooden houses, only six lives lost. Mm. But St. Paul's went up with it, and that was pretty awful. Uh, 1960, September 5, Muhammad Ali. You know who that is? I do. He wins a gold medal at the Olympic Games in Rome. Nice. As the start of his illustrious com- uh, of his illustrious career. I, I'm not into boxing. I don't like watching guys hit each other in the head. I met him once, you know. 
Muhammad Ali? I did. Okay. What did he say? Very nice You want a box? No, no. It was it was just after he'd got a, a little bit of, um, is it Alzheimer's he got in the end? He was, mm-hmm. it slowed him down just a little bit, but I sat with him in, at an airport and we chatted for about half an hour. So why do your bodyguards let you in? He anywhere? didn't have any bodyguards. And he's I, a lovely man. I wouldn't let you anywhere ne- near him if I'd been his bodyguard. <laughs> Mate, that guy doesn't need any bodyguards. <laughs> no. 1972, Munich massacre of Israelis in the Olympic Games in Rome. 17 die, 11 Israelis, and uh, six Palestinian gunmen. That was pretty sad. Do you Terrible. remember that at I all? I do remember that. I don't remember it, but I know of it. It just put, a, it put a damper on the Olympics as for a couple of, mm. couple of years after. Mm. On this day, September 5, 1977, NASA launched Voyager 1. Oh, man, I love those voyages. Do you know why, why Voyager 1 was launched? No. To go and have a look at Jupiter and Saturn. You know where it is now? Yeah, I do. Oh, wow. 24 billion kilometres away. Do you know if they send a signal out to it to change course or correct course, do you know how long it takes for the signal travelling at the speed of light to get to it? Probably more than the weekend. Nearly a day. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, that Voyager 1, which was launched September 5, 1977, it's going to keep going now to 2025. Yeah, its battery's still not dead. Yeah, quite amazing. Mm. It was supposed to finish years ago, but they keep extending its mission. Yep. Uh, in, in 1984, September 5, West Australia became the last Australian state to abolish capital punishment. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, births on this day, 1847, Jesse James. You know who he is? The famous Bush Ranger? American outlaw. outlaw Bush Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Ned Kelly, mate. He actually died in 1882. This guy was a fair dinkum American bank robber. And one of his friends betrayed him, Robert Ford, and actually came up behind him and just shot him in the head. Pretty sad, really. Uh, but he, wow. he, he was he was he was a... He was a he was a genuine American bush ranger, aren't he? Yeah. Uh, 1921, Jack Valanti was born. Now, do you know who he is? He died in 2007. I was wondering whether you'd know this nope. guy, Hunty. I, I, I think you should. Oh. With your background and what you do, I think you should know who okay, he is. Okay, tell me more. He created the rating systems for movies. Uh, the, as in PJ or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, his name did ring a bell, but I couldn't yeah. grasp wherever it came from. Yeah. Uh, 1929, Bob Newhart, he was born. He's turning 94, 95 no, today. he's dead. Bob, you know. No, he's alive. Yeah, he's, he's still birth- alive. It's his birthday today, he's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's why I'm yeah. celebrating. No, he's 95, I think. <laughs> uh, I don't know much about him, but apparently he's pretty famous. Very famous. Comedy. Yeah, comedian. Satirist. He's, in his recent years, he was on the Big Bang Theory as a resident scientist. It's quite funny. Don't watch that show. Uh, 1940, Raquel Welch. She was born. Hmm. She died on 15th of February 2023 this year. Huh. Uh, famous Hollywood actress. Yep. 1944, I actually quite like this guy. Gareth Evans, an Aussie politician, was born. Uh, Gareth, if you listen to our show, you reckon there's any chance of that? There might be. Happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday indeed. Uh, Bruce Yardley, 1947, you know who he no. was? Who's that? Very famous cricketer. Okay. He he uh, actually played in about 33 tests, took 126 wickets, was a great off-spin bowler, not a bad, a handy lower-order batsman, uh, lower batsman for Australia. And then uh, 1965, David Brabham. I know you know who he is. David Brabham? Is that son of Jack Brabham? Yeah, that's a famous. He's, a, he's famous in himself. He's a motor racer. Right. Hey, mate, if you're listening, happy birthday. Indeed. Keep, keep racing. And deaths, 1982, Douglas Bader. Ring a bell? No. He was credited with 22 aerial victories, four shared victories, six probables and one shared probable and 11 enemy aircraft damage. He was a World War II ace who lost his legs before the war in a plane accident, came back with uh, 10 legs and became an ace. They, they made a movie of him called Reach for Sky. I mean, this dude's famous, hunty. Okay. You don't know of him? I do not. Oh, dear. 
1997, Mary Teresa Bojaksu was born. No idea. Mother Teresa. Ah, there you go. She died when she was 87. So there you go. That's this day in history. We're glad you're here. And I think to uh, get the show going, to blast off, might listen to Billy Graham as he preaches up a storm. And I want to tell you something. If you start running from the Lord, the devil will always have a boat there for you. And you'll always have the money to pay the way. And at first, it'll be smooth going. You'll say, boy, I've made the right choice. I know I'm not doing God's will, but I'm doing what I want to do. And I know that I have made the right choice. But after a while, you're going to start running into some rough seas. Then the storms and the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the rocks and the reefs are going to come. No man ever turned away from God and found happiness and peace and joy that was permanent and lasting.
That's Casting nice. Crowns, and that's a great song. No, you know why I like that song? What's that? I'm just nobody. Yep. Talking about, what is it? I'm somebody. Not, somebody. Yeah. Who's Jesus. That's it. And it's, it's, it's really saying, I want my life to be yep. inconspicuous, and I want Jesus to be everything. Yep. I kind of feel, you know, hunting me, I always have wanted that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Hey, um, news this week. I notice that they're predicting in Australian media now, and it's right across Australian media. And I, I sent one particular article to you as we was as I was preparing this program. Um, they're predicting a really, really hot, blistering summer. Yeah, they're saying that what Europe's had's come our way. Well, let me tell you what, what what Europe has had. The elderly have been expiring in unair-conditioned mm. homes. Yep. Workers are dropping dead in the open. Yep. Children are getting burned from pavement as they walk home. This is in Europe this last summer. Yep. Electrical infrastructure is overheating, which is bad news if you rely on air conditioners. Yep. Dams and lakes are drying up. Crops are dying. Unstoppable forest fires have been burning since April. And this has been in the United States, Canada, Spain, France, Italy, Greece, India, Japan, and in China and in other places of the world. And they're saying a summer shifts south. That's to us. Mm. Australia's next. You know, our RFS guys, our rural fire service, haven't managed to clear or burn off not even a quarter of what they're supposed to have cleared before summer. Well, that's because there's just not enough of them and there's not enough resources. Resources, yeah. Not their fault. Our government's not supporting them. Not at all. They're ready to do the work. They just need their support from our government. Well, there's not enough of them to do the work, I don't think, Hunty. Okay. And... Uh, you know, it just goes to show, in fact, tomorrow you and I are going to take a few hours off. We're going out to the farm to clear mm. fence lines, etc., yep. so that when the fires do come through, they don't come through our place. We already had a fire. Yeah, we did. Did I acknowledge that the other week on radio? No, because you hadn't told she who must be obeyed. That's my wife. <laughs> and you were carrying like a... <laughs> no. We were burning a, a pile of... Um, I like the way you said we. Well, you're in it, mate, and you know it. <laughs> we were burning a pile of rubbish. Um, it got away. It didn't really get away. I can't tell the whole story because I don't want to make anyone look bad. That's true. That's I'm true. not talking about us either, mate. All right. But it only got about half knee height, but it, we couldn't. But the, it, was, it was certainly evidence for me that the, that the grass will burn real quick. It's dry. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, the fire engine came and the helicopters and... I think four appliances, and they put it out. They did. They were very, very good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next news story: um, Woolworths' embarrassing encounter. Lady, <laughs> they've got this new software. We've talked a bit about it on this program before, Hunty. Yes. They've got this new software. It is overhead, and it looks at you as you are scanning stuff through. And if for some reason it thinks that you've made a mistake or you're trying to rob the store or something, it 
starts to flash red and everybody looks around and everybody sees you and a Woolworths person comes rushing across and confronts you with what's going on. Well, this happened to a lady and it was in the news, in news.com and oh, there you go. Oh, classic. Well, well. Oh, I like that, mate. So he's talking about my phone going no, I am off. talking about your phone going And off. so it, it's... Is it, it your dad? No, it's <laughs> Mother from down south. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so Murray Hunter, if you're listening to us, we're on Thanks, radio. Yeah, thank you very little. <laughs> um, and she was very embarrassed. Yes. It, does this sort of software have a future, or is it going to totally, turn? No, it has a total future. Off? They're getting AI onto it. What they're basically doing is they've got a camera looking at all the products you scan, and if you accidentally don't scan one of the products That's and right. put it in a yeah, bag, yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll set off an alarm. Yep. Hmm. Yep. And and it's at the moment. Not foolproof. Plus, people are not putting everything in bags. Sometimes they that's scan right. it. That's right. That's what this lady did. And, and keep it aside because they want to either drink it on the way out of the store or whatever. And it's setting off alarms. And people are quite outraged about it. What if you don't use bags like me? I'm not paying for them. I don't use them. Yeah, sometimes I don't either. I just grab all the stuff in my arms and stagger. So is it going to go off? If it thinks you, if it's if it's seen you scan it, it won't go off. Hey, tell me about Bunnings. Oh my goodness. Well, Bunnings is now running AI on their cameras. So when you walk in the door, they track you down each up and down each aisle. They'll track you for whatever you lift off the shelf and put back on the shelf, and they'll track you at the checkouts. So they'll have a profile on you, when you come, what you buy, and how you pay. Is that good? Uh, for Bunnings, we, it is. Should we feel threatened about that? Uh, do we like Big Brother keeping tabs on us? No. Is it going to hurt us in the end by a huge amount? Probably not. Only if you're stealing stuff. Oh, yeah. If you're stealing stuff, you're done. Yeah. You know what? On the few odd occasions where something has slipped through when I've been at Woolworths, I'm not saying I'm any great saint, but I've always gone back and paid for it. You know how you can Good. accidentally – you look at the docket and somehow something didn't scan. I can't live with myself. That's good. And I think if you're out there um, and you're listening to this and you do steal stuff from Woolworths and Coles and Aldi, just remember, and I think it's worth remembering, there is an honesty issue here, but the second thing is everybody's got to pay for that one way or another. That's right. It's not – it's not real cool nope. to do that sort of stuff. Agreed. And then Qantas. Huh, not only have they given an apology, apparently they're going to give us refunds. Now, this means a lot to me because I bought two tickets, Lizzie and I, to go for a holiday to the South Island just as COVID-19 broke, hunty. We had to cancel it. Do you know they, to this day, and I'm going to say it straight on radio, Qantas would not give us a refund. Huh. Apparently now we might be able to get one. Did you know that the stench is so bad that Alan Joyce has had to go today? He's yeah. decided he won't even see his, his his term out. He'll go today so they can start the slate clean. Well, there there was a lot of um, there was a lot of pressure on him. I, I don't blame him completely. I think it's I do. No, I don't think I don't think you can. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can. I think it's a big organisation. And well, the lady he's left in charge was the head of I think CFO. Yeah, she's. So a I don't CFO. expect much to change today. Well, look, you hope and well, I was going to say pray, but you hope that Qantas will do the right thing. I hope I get my. Well, they have to repair the reputation. Yeah, I hope I get my refund. It's awful, you know that. You, yeah. You, you yeah. book a flight like that, and then you can't go on it. When you go for a refund, they make it so hard. They actually said, "Oh, you got to book another flight." So you go to book another flight, and it's two to three times as expensive for yes. exactly the same flight. Yes. So they're not replacing product with product. So let's hope for Qantas, mm. the flying kangaroo, which mm. is a pretty important... Which I love. Yeah, pretty important business to Australia. Yeah, love it. Let's hope they get their act together. They do refund us all out there who they owe and things will improve for the big red bird in the sky. That's it. Hey, Hunty. Um, big red kangaroo. You look at all these news stories, there's a lot of anxiety out there. 
Yes. A lot of people are struggling with anxiety. Listen to this and see what you think. Our culture right now, anxiety is like a buzzword, right? My anxiety. I'm struggling with my anxiety today. My kids have anxiety. My dog has anxiety. My everything has anxiety. We all have anxiety. This is the declaration of our culture. But this says, be anxious for nothing. Not just don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication. Bring everything before God. It's telling us that the answer to anxiousness is a relationship with God actually engaging him it's not saying I'm not gonna be afraid I'm not gonna be anxious I'm not gonna be scared I'm not gonna be it's saying that I am absolutely deciding to put my life in his hands be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication so I exchange anxiety through the process of prayer and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus I love you, Lord, for your mercy never failed me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire In darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived In the goodness of God
unfaithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God song mm. that's uh I'd, I'd like to know who that is hunty but you Rhett walker <laughs> Rhett walker mm. yeah do you know much about Rhett walker i do not that's a song we sing in our church top actually. of the run sheet if you want to read yeah yeah, yeah 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 I, I get lost <laughs> <laughs> um this, very, this very is nice a, this is a story of a jewish multi-millionaire who found jesus when I hear these stories, it moves me deeply and I have this desire to share them with you here on the radio because I think if you're thinking about making a decision for Jesus, and I hope and pray some of you out there listening to this program are, it may encourage you. See what you think. I had a yacht in the south of France and a huge house and I felt on top of the world. At the time came when the stock market crashed. I lost everything. I remember as a little boy, my Orthodox Jewish grandfather, leave the room we were in and go upstairs several times a day. I said to Grandma, where does Grandpa go every day? Oh, she said, he goes to speak with God. So I thought to myself, if Grandpa goes to speak with God, God must be a very important person. My parents saved up to send me to college and then I became a barrister at law and I loved being on my feet with, with the wig and the gown. I'm sure you've seen it. Unfortunately, I had a phone call from my mother. My father was in hospital and that he was very ill and I had to hang up my wig and my gown and I had to look after his business. There were no other children. I became hardened and I wanted so much to prove to all these people that I could make money as well. And years went by and I married a lovely girl. Her name was Valerie and uh, I became very successful. About five years after that, I turned my finance company into a bank. And five years after that, the bank went onto the stock market and I became a multimillionaire. I had a yacht in the south of France and a Rolls Royce and a huge house, and I felt on top of the world. The press called me Midas, and I was full of ego, and I was full of myself. I was my own God. I didn't take any interest at all in the one true God. The time came when the stock market crashed because the price of oil climbed dramatically, and I, I lost everything. So I went from one extreme to the other. One day I was very rich and the next day 
I was suddenly treating people without the champagne and caviar, and I was taking Valium and drinking whiskey, and I was very, very unhappy. One day in Los Angeles, several extraordinary things happened. We went to a Bible study in someone's house, and he was a Jewish man. I was sitting there, I didn't know anyone around me. There were clearly Jews and Gentiles, and I was deeply in thought about what I'd heard from the man who had done the teaching from the Bible, from the Old Testament, and a woman came up to me after the lesson, and she simply said to me, she said, Joseph, are you now ready to receive Yeshua, Jesus, as your Messiah? And when we went out of that place, Valerie said to me, Joseph, there's something I have to tell you. Something very special happened to me. She said, they told me about Jesus and who he is, and I have accepted Jesus as my Messiah. And I looked at her and I said, I've done the same. And I burst into tears, I'm not ashamed to tell you. And I probably cried for 10, 12 minutes and I received Yeshua. And I knew that something big had happened to me. Well, in the weeks and months that followed, we went to synagogues, we went to churches and very uncomfortable in churches, but they talked about Jesus. And I decided I wanted to learn more. I went to a seminary and Later on, I became a, a teacher of the Bible, pastor of a small church, and that was a wonderful experience. And I loved telling people about it. Jesus is Jewish. All the apostles are Jewish. And when people say to me, all oh, you've converted, I say to them, no, I haven't converted unless Jesus has converted. Practically all the Bible was written by Jews, and I feel very much at home. It was very hard for Valerie She'd picked up a germ that was in a bad part of her body even before she knew me when she was a teenager. In those days, they didn't have the medical knowledge to know how to stop it spreading. Unfortunately, years later, she passed away. And I will never forget the wonderful time I had with Valerie, whom I adored and loved. I have struggled with why God allowed her to suffer so much. But we have to trust in God, and we have to realize that His ways are not our ways. And I'm sure she'll be well one day when heaven opens up for those who believe in Jesus. He was divine. He was indeed the Son of God. He did indeed come to this earth, which to me today, many years later, is still amazing to me that God would send His own Son to help us reach out to him and be forgiven for our sins. I had missed something for many years of my life. I think if you ask me what was my overriding emotion, and that was gratitude. Thanks to God for showing me the truth. Thanks to God for allowing me to share that truth with other people. Prison on the upward way.
That's a good old country, boys. Ponder Sykes and Wright singing up a storm <laughs> a with of a higher ground. Love yeah, it. I've been singing that song in church since I was a little boy. Terry Johnson, are you there? I'm here, Lloyd. Can you hear me well? I can hear you very well. Do you know that song? I do remember that song. I used to play it when I was a radio disc jockey in another life when I was at university in ah, Texas. Wow. So you're from radio too, are you? I did. I actually still have my license for radio broadcasting in the United States and uh, very happy to keep it. So to do what we're doing today, you need a license in the U.S., do you? You do. As a broadcaster, as an individual who's going to be on the radio, you actually have to have FCC certification in order to be able to broadcast and know all the rules and regulations, what you can and cannot say, and so on. And I, um, I worked in radio for three years while I was at Southwestern Adventist University. Ah, so uh, Hunty might, with with his uh, approach to radio, struggle to get that, eh? <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't give me one, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome, Terry, to the program today. Um, just remind us, because those of you who listen to us a lot, you'll know who Terry Johnson is, but there, there might be a lot of new listeners, we hope and pray. Um, tell us, uh, remind us again what you do. Yeah, look, I'm the lead pastor for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Australia, and I'm responsible for the constitutional Uh, focus on mission and movement across the nine conferences that we have. We have about 620 churches, 50 schools, five aged care companies. I'm the chair of our Adventist Development Relief Agency in Australia, which is an NGO, and also the chair of Mamarafa College, which is the only tertiary institution in the Seventh-day Adventist Church around the world that is aimed at Indigenous people. And a good place it is, too. Wonderful place, and we we have reached out to 230 communities all across Australia with students from those communities attending Mamarafa over the last 26 years. Which is an Indigenous school. It, correct, it is, and and um, it's it's really a Bible school that is a health school as well, a lot of focus on people uh, learning how to live right. So as I'm listening to that, uh, it's a pretty big resume, you're the boss. Um, yes, I mean, ultimately, the way that the Seventh-day Adventist Church works is with committees, and so the committees are the boss, but uh, you need to have somebody who convenes them and who actually works with them, and and I find that uh, uh, the membership really represent the power of the Holy Spirit and the conversation from the Holy Spirit. You know, there's wisdom in a collective of good counselors, uh, so while I have the title of being president, I am very much only a part of what committees choose to do. I like to think of it as your hunty's boss. He's your boss, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we like that little joke, Terry. <laughs> I don't think anybody can be hunty's boss. Thank you. <laughs> you know Andrew Hunt. You know Andrew Hunt. Um, just remind me, how many pastors do you have in Australia? We have about 455 uh, pastors and chaplains across Australia, and uh, that number is growing because of the amount of students that we have. We have about just under 19,000 students in our 50 schools and uh, primary schools, and we have about about 5,500 employees in all the different entities, not including Sanitarium or Sydney Adventist Hospital. So those, those, um, stu- those pastors, most of them would not be in offices. They're out in the field working with average, ordinary Aussies, is that correct? 
Yeah, that's correct. About uh, in some conferences, it's as high as seventy percent of the ministers are in the local field. In some conferences, they have a, a mix of local field and conference office work. Um, but yes, the vast majority of our ministers are in the field, and the reasoning for that is is the policy that the world worldwide church uses, which is that tithe has to be used at a certain percentage to pay for field pastors. So when you talk about a conference, you're talking about regional areas in Australia. The church, the Adventist church is split up into different areas of Australia and you call them conferences. Is that right? Yes. Some, yes, correct. Some, some denominations call them dioceses. Okay, we have yep. nine conferences that are like a diocese. So, and in those conferences, you have a leader and basically if, if I've get, if I've got this right, one of your jobs is to look after to mentor, to train, and to support the leaders of those different conferences, or if you want, diocese. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, last week I spent three days in induction processes for our newest leader for the Northern Australian Conference, Pastor Simon Gigliotti, who has been working with you, uh, Lloyd, as a pastor in the Greater Sydney Conference and has just taken on the role of being a president. And uh, I did three days, eight plus hours per day, just of induction to him on what the responsibilities were, how he was to see himself vis-a-vis -vis the, the mission of the church. Because the lead pastor for each conference is responsible for ensuring that the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is based in, first of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28, and secondly, in the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14 and also in chapter 18 which is an expansion of the second angel's message i'm going to talk those, about that today things. sorry i'm going to talk about that today yeah, fantastic well that's a that's your entry hey <laughs> what do you reckon the greatest challenge of a average out in the field and what i mean by that out in the community adventist pastors what what's what's the greatest challenge because i know they've got yeah. a lot of them but you because i know you do work with these leaders but you also work a lot with the local pastors and basically as i understand it and i think i've found it like this any local pastor in any church big or small can actually get through to you and talk if he needs to Absolutely, via email, via phone call, via SMS, via WhatsApp. And, and my responsibility is just to remind them again of the mission of the church. What is it that God has called you to do and how are you going to engage? And the biggest challenge that most of our ministers have faced with outside of the regular human engagement is finding relevance for our society here in Australia. With 38% of the community claiming to have no understanding of God, no interest in God, and with Christianity having dropped from 98% back in 1901 to 43% in last year's census, it's clear that the biggest challenge is relevance. How do we actually share good news in the contemporary society where people don't believe that there is any absolute truth, that there is no need for having uh, the gospel in any way, shape, or form, and who are actually quite antagonistic towards Christian faith, even though the Christian faith is what has developed this country in many ways to the democratic strength that it has, uh, to the health strength that it has, to the focus on the poor that it has. All those things were developments from Christian MPs and prime ministers who were very much centered on being the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, I don't even know whether we've had a prime minister who wasn't a Christian of some sort or another. Um, Correct. Short, short answer, because I want to get into this a little bit deeper, but short definition answer. What is a Protestant? 
A Protestant is a person who protests. I mean, yep. that's the simplest uh, definition of it. But in essence, a Protestant is an individual who's actually protested against uh, what the mainline denomination of the 15th and 16th century was. And it's split into two major categories. You have the Calvinists who believe in five very specific um, understandings. And they came from a, Cal uh, a gentleman by the name of John Calvin, who was a Protestant reformer in the country of Switzerland. And his particular statements were that all of us had sinned and were totally deprived of anything good, that uh, he believed that only certain people were elected to heaven and the rest weren't. Uh, they had limited atonement. They had uh, they, they couldn't fight against grace. And so if you were elected, you couldn't say no to grace. And he believed that uh, God actually had the perseverance of the saints. And then in the other camp, and this is the camp that the Seventh-day Adventist Church comes from, we come from a branch of Protestantism called Arminium, Arminius. And it comes from a gentleman named Jacobus Arminius, who was a Dutch reformer. And he actually decided that he didn't particularly appreciate the Calvinist perspective of one saved, always saved. And so he came up with five different articles of faith, which we as Seventh-day Adventists actually have agreed upon. And then the first one is that there's conditional election. That means that God gives you and I the right to choose whether or not we want to be saved or not. We have free will and complete free will. There is unlimited atonement, which means that God gives God gives grace and mercy to anybody around the planet who wishes it. There is no special elected person or non-elected person. Yes, we're we're totally depraved, and we need to actually have uh, grace given to us. And he believed in something that's really important called provinian grace. And provinian grace is the grace that God gives you into your heart to inform you that you need grace more so it, it, it awakens you it's like an alarm clock that goes off and says there must be more to this life and that's the concept of provenian grace and then of course he had conditional preservation that means that you need to actually ask for god to come in your life uh, regularly not to just believe once and think that you're going to be saved for the rest of eternity so then i can say seventh day adventist or protestant Correct. We are Protestants, and we come out of the Arminian branch of Protestantism. I, I like that. You know, I, for me, it's a simple thing. Calvinism, uh, God elects whether you're saved or not. Arminianism, I think I said that right, you get to choose. And Correct. I think that's so what... we're not the robots. No, that's what... By, the, it, I have a, a friend who's a really good... Uh, he's a really good friend of mine, actually. He's a Calvinist pastor. I said, why do you bother going out telling people about Jesus if God's already chosen who's elected and who's going to be saved and who isn't? He was a bit embarrassed about that. Because I believe, because we're our minions, did I get that right? We are the ones who uh, choose whether or not we're going to follow God. And I think that's really important. You, as you listen out there today, you're the one who makes a choice on whether you follow God or not. Um, God wants everybody to be saved, but you must make that choice. And I think that's important. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I think that's one of the most precious promises that Scripture gives us is that it is up to us. God gives his mercy to everyone. He shares his provenient grace by waking us up to the need to be uh, given that grace. And then from that moment on, we are disciples of Jesus when we say yes. Yeah, it's really important that, really important. I, I, I like the fact that God opens up salvation to every single person who's ever lived on the planet in the entire history of the world. He calls every single one of us, and I like it. I actually like the fact that I'm the one who decides whether or not I'm going to be saved or not. Uh, it's not a decision God makes. He just calls me and says, uh, I, I, what does he say? I wish that no, none of you would perish. 
that all would yeah, accept of everlasting eternal life. Yeah, hey, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Yeah. But the, but the call of Jesus is to everyone, isn't it? To everyone. And in that call, there is a commitment. You make a commitment yeah. to actually follow the principles as outlined in Scripture, not because they save you, but because you want to develop the relationship that you have with God and the kingdom values that he espouses. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite beautiful when you get into it. Hey, are there similarities between Adventists and our other Protestant brother churches? You bet. I mean, most of the faith beliefs that we have are very similar to other Protestant churches, and they're only minor uh, changes, you know, minor differences. And those differences tend to be around certain doctrinal faiths, like uh, we believe that Jesus is coming back literally and physically. Not all churches believe that. We believe that God has called us to lead, lead a balanced life, and therefore we believe very much in the, the, the holiness of the Sabbath, which is set apart to, to fellowship in, to enjoy, to be a blessing, to rest. I mean, scientists have been able to, to show us that we actually have a circadian rhythm, and that circadian mm. rhythm is based on seven days. It's mm. not based on six or ten. It's seven days. And the only thing in uh, the world that has a seven-day cycle is the week. Mm. And the week has no... Um, planetary connection. You know, months are based on the moon, years based on the connection of running around the sun. But when it comes to the Sabbath and the week, it is simply because God said today is day one and Sabbath is day seven. That's it. Nothing more. Mm-hmm. But but so we have many similarities and only a few differences. Is that what you're saying? That's absolutely right. Yeah, we have a lot of similarities with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those differences are can be quite significant. But when you're looking at it over the entirety of the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I would say there's probably only about four that would be significantly different from most denominations. How long have you been a pastor? This is my 32nd year as a minister in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In my third country, it's also my ninth country to live in because I was a pastor's son, and he lived in six other countries prior to this one. Yeah, this is my 34th year. You and me are similar vintage, my friend. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to, we're getting to that dinosaur era. Yeah, yeah. Ministers in Australia across denominations, ministers last about fifteen years and then they are tired out. So we've done. For you. <laughs> have you had long service leave yet? No, I have not. No, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the last day of my role at the union to take a little bit of long service leave to just you know get back to normal. I'm uh, I'm going to Western Australia, your home territory, next year yeah. at Easter to do something with the church, and I'm going to take six weeks coming home. Uh, oh, that'll be lovely. I'll actually be there at the same time that you can uh, be there, Lloyd. Uh, we're going to go back and actually be there as a family together for the first time in in seven years. By that time. Uh, it's our home state, and we love it dearly. I better behave then, hadn't I? You better. I'm going to come and listen. <laughs> no, you'll be on me. <laughs> hey, um, what do you think is the biggest? I'm going to ask you two questions here, and I'm letting this interview run over. Hunter, you'll live. I've with noticed. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest difference between us and our Protestants, brothers and sisters? And what do you think is the thing that ties us to get so the closest uh, thing that we have with them? So the biggest and the closest. Yeah. The, the yeah, biggest, I think the biggest one. Yeah. The biggest one is actually an ideological way of looking at life. We actually believe that our faith is holistic. It's not about times and spaces. It's about life as a whole. And so if you come and become a Seventh-day Adventist, we talk about health. We talk about uh, well-being. We talk about uh, doctrine. We talk about work. We talk about alignment with values. We talk about the holistic experience of being a Seventh-day Adventist. And if you're on Netflix at the moment, you'll find that there's a, a series of documentaries called The Blue Zone, 
and that focus on Seventh-day Adventists and, wow. and what happens when you have a holistic experience like that. So I would say that's probably the biggest difference that we have between our faith and other faiths. For so, us, so what you're saying it is there, a lifestyle. So what, yeah, that's what you're saying. For us, it is an entire lifestyle. It encompasses everything. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, it's, you're all in as a Christian. Is that, is that, it, it changes everything. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely, and and I think the thing that actually is the closest for us with our uh, with our Christian brothers and sisters is the belief that we're only saved by grace. Yeah, we're saved by grace through the mercy of Jesus Christ alone, and and all Christian denominations actually have that at the center of their faith. They have variations of what that means, uh, and those variations are Arminian, Calvinist, and Catholic. Those are the three yeah. main Christian uh, uh, variations. But in, in essence, they all believe that we are depraved, that we need salvation, and that our lives are not complete until we actually have Jesus in our hearts. Mm. Oh, we know we're depraved if we have a good hard look at ourselves, don't we? Mm. Um, sure. How would you describe the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Because there are a lot of people listening on this radio show right now who don't know a lot about Seventh-day Adventists. And let's face it, uh, Terry, we're not the, the we're not the biggest denomination. We're not the best and the most well-known. I think people might know us through Sanitarium, Sydney Adventist <laughs> Hospital, Lindy Chamberlain, those sorts of things, but we're really not that well-known. How, how would you uh, describe the Seventh-day Adventist Church to someone who has never heard of us? Yeah, I think I would describe it as a as a church that focuses on holistic well-being. Okay. We are interested in everything about life to make life better. And so Seventh-day Adventists actually live on average uh, 9 to 11 years longer with better health than the local community. Mm. And that has been proven over and over again. And it's because of our emphasis on trusting in God, on drinking water, not yeah. being abusive, sleeping well, taking time in nature, focusing on family and worship. Those are areas that really bring about an understanding that relaxes us in the moments of heavy stress. And when you look around, Lloyd, at any news channel, uh, the stress is a major part of life. The largest amount of hospital admissions occurs on Monday morning when people have the highest at um, instances of heart attack and and anxiety because of what they're expected to work through during the course of the week. That's amazing. So for Christians, it really is quite amazing. For Christians, the fact that we can rest assured in in the in God's grace, even in the highest stress moments, mm. makes a massive impact on our on our quality of life. Yeah. yeah. See, honey, yeah. that's why I give you Mondays yeah. off, mate. Oh. I don't want you to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going on from that. Um, and I know you look at this all the time, strengths and weaknesses of the Adventist Church. And I know you're, you're, you're a guy who, who you're not looking at us and our deny. You can't afford to through rose-colored glasses, but there are strengths, there are weaknesses. What do you see that as? Our strengths are definitely in belief and doctrine. We have a very strong structure, which is committee-oriented, so that there's no one person that ever has uh, too much influence and authority or power. It's committee-based. You know, we have nominating committees for positions of authority. I don't have the role as as a leader of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in perpetuity. It's only for five years, and then a committee comes together and makes a decision. So those are some of the strengths that we have. And there are also some of the weaknesses that we have, because it means that instead of being able to move forward quickly, we only move at the pace of a committee. And a committee can take a significant amount of time to make a decision. So there's wisdom in slowing things down and ensuring that we're doing the right thing. And there's also a, a sense of, you know, uh, of, of, of 
glacial movement uh, as a result. And so even though we call ourselves a movement, the movement aspect comes from the fact that we don't believe in the institutionality of a church. We believe that the church is at the local church level, that that is where the movement occurs. Everything occurs in sharing the good news of Jesus with the community around us. And therein lies one of the biggest weaknesses that we have as a church. We, we don't have a lot of small groups that actually can minister to people in the community. And our engagement with the community isn't as strong as it should be. We tend to rely on certain people to do most of the work. And in fact, in most Seventh-day Adventist Church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And we have become consumers of Christianity like our contemporaries in other churches. And, and for me, the challenge is in actually changing that and making us not consumers, but partakers of the divine in terms of the Holy Spirit and us with spiritual gifts, anointing us and actually engaging with the community as God's hands and feet. Yeah. In fact, um, that might be the greatest challenge of Christianity, full stop, is for people to engage with the community in a relevant way, in a powerful way. As the, You know, the early Christian church, Terry, what did it take to get to the whole world back then? One generation? Yeah, one generation, and they and they shared it out of their out of their testimony. They were so committed to the cause that they couldn't help but share, even though they knew that if they shared with the wrong person, they would be persecuted and committed, you know, be put to death and, and terrible deaths. Yeah, but they, they believed that the coming of Jesus was so soon that it was worth the risk to actually share, and that this mortal being was going to put on immortality at the second coming of Jesus. And so therefore, what was it, what does it matter if you live 20 years or 100 years yeah. here when you know you're going to live in perpetuity with Christ Jesus as your friend? They truly were not digging their roots too deep into the world, were they, back then? In fact, they it's interesting for me, Terry, when you read about that early church, how they would actually go and sell all the houses and pull everything in together. And no wonder the, yeah. the, the, the story of Jesus exploded. Um do you believe you have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to be saved? Because I, I have friends who are not Adventists, many actually. And one of the things that comes through to me is, don't you guys say that you've got to be a Seventh-day Adventist to be saved? Is that, now, you're, you are the leader of the Adventist church in Australia. You're one of the, you're probably, to be fair, one of the, in the top echelon leaders in the world. There's not a lot of union presidents, are there, worldwide? 138 of us. 138 in a church of 25 million. So it's not a yeah. lot. No. Um. Do you have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to be saved? The answer is no. Uh, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And we believe as Seventh-day Adventists that uh, the, the holistic faith that we have and the biblical doctrines that we have puts us in a category that are preparing for Jesus' soon return. And we believe that what we have to share will, will bring you a blessing uh, and will certainly give your life a, a huge boost in positivity. Uh, but until the moment where you have to make a decision for God or against God, which we believe will be at the very end of time, um, no, you don't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist. In fact, there are many people from across the planet who are wonderful Christian human beings and are truly disciples of Jesus and have never heard of Seventh-day Adventists, have never heard of the Sabbath, have never heard about what happens to you when you die or about the prophetic interpretations that we have from the book of Daniel and Revelation, which are dear to our heart as Seventh-day Adventists. Um, but um, we believe that as you search the words of God, that the living word of God will penetrate your heart and open up your heart to the truths of Scripture that are so beautiful uh, that we believe we found. And we are more than happy to share those with anyone who's willing to listen. So if you don't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to be saved, and I agree with you, um, 
but there are great advantages. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, to be honest, well, I'm going to ask you in a minute, and I'm not going to give my reason. I might share that later on in the program. Um, what do you need to be saved? And then I want to ask you why you are a Seventh-day Adventist. So what do you need to be saved then? If, if it's not to be as... Because a lot of denominations will, say, will, will tie salvation to you being a part of that denomination. Yeah. If that's not entirely the case, what do you have to do to be saved? Because there are Aussies listening right now, and that would be their top question. Well, what do I have to be to be what do I have to do to be saved? Yeah, I mean, Scripture tells us in John three sixteen, you know, that uh, we we have to believe in the Word of God. We have to believe in Jesus. And then when you're looking at at uh, uh, Romans chapter three twenty three, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Acts chapter eleven tells us that the Gentiles, that's you and me. I'm not a Jewish man, or, or right. you know, I don't have any Jewish ancestry. We have the right to the the salvation that has come through the cross of Jesus. You know, when he died for us, he died for all of humanity. And when we accept that he actually was the son of God and that he was divine and that uh, he was the creator of the earth, according to Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, that in that belief, we become disciples of Jesus. And at that moment, the Bible tells us through Paul that we are justified and we are justified from that moment every moment until he returns does that mean saved does that mean sorry does it just justify does that are you saying from that moment you are saved that's the way i believe it yes absolutely from that moment you you are saved and then you're sanctified you know uh, paul actually goes on to say that every moment god is looking at the inside of our hearts our conscience and trying to uh, weed out all of the things that are not part of the values uh, the experience of being a part of God's kingdom. And he does that also all the way through until the second coming. And when the second coming arrives, there's a third part, which Paul also speaks of, which is called the glorification, where we put on immortality, where we actually uh, become full citizens of the kingdom of, of heaven. And we'll be able to share our testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives for the rest of eternity. So. You're saved, and that's called justification. Is that right? I just want to get this right. And you're saved by justification, which means you're saved by Jesus and the cross alone, the fact that he takes your sins to the cross. Is that is that what you're saying there? Absolutely. So that's you call that justification. Then the Holy Spirit comes and changes you. That's what you're saying? Yep, and that's what I call sanctification that's, and what Paul calls sanctification. So that's that's where you actually do change, and you're not changing to be saved. You're changing because you are saved. Correct, and so there's nothing that I can do, and that's what that's what we are as Arminian, totally depraved. Yeah. Being totally depraved means that we are only able to walk out of our depravity through the provenian grace of God and the grace of God that continues to sustain us all the way through until his coming. Provenian grace, just unpack that very quickly. The provenian is the word just meaning the grace that comes to wake you up, the grace that lets you know Beautiful. that you've got a problem. And then Jesus will come. So we've got Jesus in our hearts. We're living here on this earth. He sends the Holy Spirit. We're changing day by day. Then Jesus yep. will come, and when he comes, he turns us into sinless people. Is that right? Who will live for eternity? Yeah, that's, that, seems to be, that seems to be exactly what Paul is saying, is that we will be citizens of the kingdom who will have the right to actually stand in the presence of a holy God. At the moment, I am not holy, yeah. and therefore being in the presence of a holy God will actually kill me, according to what Scripture says. The power of God is so magnificent that even when Moses said, show me who you are, God only shows a portion of the rear of his divinity because Moses would not be able to withstand the glory 
glory of God yeah, and yeah. in His presence. A good story, that one, actually. So what you're saying is we need an in-between to get into the presence of God while we're down here in this fallen flesh, and that's Jesus. We've got to, we can yeah. go to God through Jesus. Is that right? Yeah, we have a mediator, and we can actually speak to him directly at any time, not through some person, a pastor, a priest. We can go directly to God at any time through Jesus, who is our mediator. You know, that's one of the things I love about being a Seventh-day Adventist is that truth about a mediator, about Jesus, about the go-between, how we can go through him to God. It's very strong in our movement, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And and when you catch on to that understanding of provenient grace and that yeah. concept of our miniistic Protestant tradition, then you start to realize what a gift it is that God oh, yeah. has given to the Son, Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. Last question, why are you a Seventh-day Adventist? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because of my belief in the principles of our faith. You know, when we look at the doctrines, the doctrines are really just a, a, a compounding of biblical understanding that gives us meaning in life. I align my values with those 28 fundamentals and believe in the soon coming of Jesus, which for me is true joy. Have, how long have you been a Seventh-day Adventist, by the way, Terry? I was baptized when I was 14. I'm turning 54 this year, so 40 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Long time. Yeah. Well, look, I really appreciate you coming uh, on this show with us. What I like about you is I hit you, not this time as much, but with some pretty hard <laughs> questions, and you never shrink from it. And I, I want to testify that because I like that about you, Terry Johnson. You'll, you will answer. You have never once, and we've had a number of interviews now, ever, ever said, don't ask that question. I love that, mate. It's always a privilege being with you and, uh, and being able to speak to your listeners. We thank you, God, for the fact that he's opening up hearts all across Australia. Yep. I, I find it amazing that Faith FM has over 8% of the population have heard or listened to Faith FM, and we only reach one-third of the population with our antennas to date. So God is doing a miraculous thing with Faith FM, and we're praying for each one of you that um, you, you find Jesus and you get aligned with his values. Yeah, well, thanks, mate. I hope we can talk to you again in, before Christmas, actually. Uh, I look forward to it. One more time, I'll try and devise some really hard questions <laughs> next time. <laughs> but I, I, find, I, find, I found it interesting, and I just wanted to get your perspective on the Seventh-day Adventist Church so, as its leader here in Australia. So thank you very much. God bless you. We'll see you in another couple of months. My privilege. Blessings. Bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. He's a good bloke, that dude. Very good. Yeah, he he really does front up. Yep. Because uh, it's so easy when you're a leader to say, "Oh, don't ask that question in public, or don't do that." Or he fronts up and he has a go at anything. So I appreciate that. We love you, Terry Johnson. May God bless you in your ministry as you lead us here in Australia. This next group who's singing. This is. Fulton Adventist University College, Hunty. Yes. Now, you've been there. I have. Many times? The mo yes, the most beautiful place on earth, nearly. <laughs> I don't know whether you've been to the new one. They got shifted a few years they ago. They did. Have you been to the new one? Because you were with me when that happened. Because um, neither – I haven't been – I have been to Fulton. I used to live in Fiji. Fulton up on the hill. Uh, I've been to Fulton Adventist University many, many times. Mm. But not a new one. They've got a new one there. You've been there, I no, guess. No, I don't think if it's a new one. It's a new one. Yeah. It's a new one. They got shifted from where they are. This is a university college in Fulton that, uh, in, in Fiji, sorry, called Fulton after a, a missionary who went there many years ago. It actually services all the islands, doesn't it, Hunty? Yes. All the Pacific Islands, at yes. least the, the Southwest Pacific Islands. Yes. 
and uh, it's a fantastic place. And they can sing, Hunty. Oh, yeah. I don't know whether there's a kid in that university who can't sing. <laughs> and this is a song they sang oh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's actually called... Um, See What God Sees. See What God Sees. Yeah. And this is a bunch of young people. Would it be fair to say, Hunty, almost all of them under 20? I reckon. Yeah. Close to it. I hope you enjoy it. Told you they're not too bad, mate. Right, good stuff. Yeah, I really, really, I, I, maybe because I worked over there in Fiji. I've worked in Fiji, New Guinea. Uh, just thinking where I've been to the Solomon Islands working. The one thing they can all do, these Pacific mm-hmm. Islanders, and I've, I've worked with Samoans and Tongans and New Wayans and the whole lot in New Zealand. Man, they just sing so beautifully. And I know you've worked with them too. Yeah. Quite yep. amazing, they really. They sing fantastic. Hey, we're way behind time. We are. We just don't know where this show's going to go today, but we're on a wing and a prayer. Spirit's leading us. Yeah, God is with us. Um, The other night I shared on our live platform Friday night. I always do a live Friday night. And it is live, isn't it, Hunty? Yeah, and it's a, mate, let me say it's a very powerful message, this one. Well, it's, it's my story about my struggle to do good but when I want to do good, I've always done bad. Does that sound right, Hunty? That's my story too. Yeah, so I want to do good. Yep. I want to follow God. But too often, I've done bad. 
So listen to this. And I'll tell you what, I'd love to hear from you on what you think about what I'm saying. How are they getting in contact yeah, with me? Yeah, send Aussie? us a text on 0488880851 or email us at theaussiepastor at gmail.com. So the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail.com. Send us your comments because I reckon this message is probably one of the most powerful I've ever heard Pastor Lloyd deliver. Fire away, mate. The trouble with me. I've always been a pastor, really, for the last 34 years. I've never tried to hide that I'm a sinner, that I fall short. In fact, I've always felt a little bit hesitant when people try to set me up as a role model because I've always realised the depravity of man and the depravity that I fight in myself with. And I think if most of you out there... We're real with yourselves, and I think you probably are. Most of you would too. So the trouble with me, this is a really important, very important little Bible study. Back in the 19th century in London, been to London a few times, it's the middle of winter, as a wet, cold, blustery afternoon, and there was a man in a local pawn shop, a shop where people would bring their second-hand goods to, he would buy them and on-sell them. He was just shutting up his little shop. Again, it's windy, it's blustery, it's cold as only London can be. And this bedraggled, ragged, down-looking, stooped man walked into the shop. And he had under his arm a ragged, like him, a ragged, bedraggled, old violin. And he said to the pawn shop owner, I'd like to sell my violin for a little bit of money. And so the owner of the shop looked at it very quickly and he quickly realised it wasn't much of a violin. He said, look, I'll give you five pounds. Well, the old man who was down on his luck, his eyes lit up and he said, I'll take it. And he hands the violin over to the shop, to the pawn shop owner, and he takes the money and he disappears out the shop into the blustery, cold London evening. The pawn shop owner picks the violin up and he begins to turn it over and have a better look at it. When suddenly he stopped, his, his heart missed a beat. He began to breathe heavily because he saw a mark on that violin and he realised what he had got. A Stradivarius. And if you don't know what a Stradivarius is, they're the most famous violin in the world. And they are very expensive. Even back then, worth hundreds of thousands of pounds of dollars. And today, when I'm looking at this story, I looked up what a Stradivarius was worth. You know, some of them have sold up to $40 million. Well, he was an honest pawn shop broker. And so what he did is he ran out of the shop to find the man to tell him what he'd given him so he could give him a decent price. But try as he might, as he ran through those streets in that early London evening, he could not, no matter what he did, find the owner of the violin. That old man stooped over, down on his luck. What he didn't realise was what he had. And I reckon what I'm going to share with you tonight is like that Stradivarius violin. We don't realise, let me talk to Christians just for a moment, and I know a lot of you out there are not Christians, and that's a good thing, so you're hearing this message for the first time. But for Christians, I think sometimes we don't realise what we've got in this message. Let's have a look at it. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 7. Remember this 
The title of this Bible study is The Trouble With Me. I'm going to open up and share with you the trouble with me and what I have found, which has given me freedom, and I think it'll give you freedom too. Romans chapter 7, this is Paul the Apostle. Now, I know that I'm talking to Australians, to Aussies, and often we turn off when the Bible is mentioned, when the pastor or the preacher or the teacher opens the Bible and we head out the door, we change channels. Don't change channel now. This is the most important message you will ever hear. This is Paul the Apostle. I like to say this, trained by Jesus himself in the deserts of Arabia for three years. This is Paul the Apostle sharing the gospel. And this is a gospel that sets people free. And we live in a world and sometimes we live in a church, I'm not just talking the Adventist church, the Christian church that does not believe or understand or see or experience the power of the gospel, not only the gospel that saves, but the gospel that sets free. And having been a man of addictions and temptations and failures, this is very important to me. So stick with me. Don't go. This matters. Romans chapter 7 verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. So Paul says, problem's not with the Ten Commandments. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. And I wonder tonight, are you a slave to sin? Has some sin got you by the throat and throttling you that you cannot overcome? And by sin, I'm talking about sin when defined by the Bible. You want to know what sin is? Go to the Bible. It'll define for you what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is good. So the Bible defines sin. Has some sin got a hold of you that you cannot overcome, that you're a slave to? You know, they reckon there are more slaves today than any other time in history. must be a terrible thing to be a slave. And we look at people who are slaves and the suffering they go through. I've studied the American Civil War and slavery back in the Americans and back in Britain. I've uh, read the story of John Newton, the great slave captain who wrote Amazing Grace. And slavery is an awful scourge on mankind. And they reckon there are more slaves today than any other time in history. Slavery, you a slave to sin? What am I talking about? Well, there's a whole lot of things you can be a slave to. Drugs, smoking, vaping, can't give it up. I was talking to someone the other day who were telling me that Australians, they think Australians are slaves to shopping. Even though we're going broke, just can't stop shopping or a slave to, to alcohol. Come from an extended family that struggled with alcohol or a slave to pornography. My daughter was talking to me about how recently she was at church and the pastor talked about pornography and the hold that has on boys and men. And we become slaves to that and we cannot escape. Try as we might, we want to, we cannot escape. Is that you tonight? Or a slave to adultery or fornication or LGBT. You know, people caught in these sexual sins, they try to get out. They try not to be that, but there's something intrinsic deep inside them they cannot overcome, and most people in the end just give up. You know why? Because we know the gospel that saves, but we don't know the gospel that gives us freedom. Well, tonight Paul's going to share with us the gospel that not only saves, but the gospel that gives us freedom. First, Paul talks about what it's like to be a slave to sin. Look at this. Well, before I do, locked up in chains, is that you tonight? In a dungeon where there is no light, is that you tonight? 
in a high security prison that you can't escape from? Is that you tonight? Well, Paul talks about how to escape. But before he does, as I said, he tells us what it's like to be locked up in a prison like this. Look what he says in verse 15 of Romans 7. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. Is that you? But I don't do it. Is that you? I know what that's like. I've spent a lot of my life being like this. Instead, I do what I hate. Well, you want to do what's right, but you do what you hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I know what I'm doing is wrong. I get that the Ten Commandments say not to do it, but I'm doing it anyhow. I can't help myself. That's what Paul's saying. He says in verse 17, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin that's living in me. You've got a parasite inside of you. You've got something inside of you that is a part literally of your DNA. It's called sin, and it's sin that's compelling you to do wrong even when you want to do right. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I, look what he says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. Is that where you are? Caught in a sin, want to do what is right, and you can't, and you've given up tonight? Well, you don't have to, there's hope. Verse uh, 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, man, I understand what you're saying, Paul. Preach it, brother. That's been me. I've had that experience. I know what it's like for many, many years, and so do some of you. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin that's living in me. You listen to Paul. I mean, I'm just going, yeah, 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 man, I get it. I get it. Verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law for my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Awful, awful experience. And he says, oh, verse 24, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by death and sin? Oh, I think there's got to be some people listening to this tonight who know exactly what I'm talking about. And when you're stuck in a sin, now, remember I entitled this The Trouble With Me. I know what I'm talking about tonight. When you're stuck in a sin, you can't escape and you've tried to. Some people try for a year. Some people try for a decade. Some people try for a lifetime and they can't escape it. It causes depression. And you know what happens? Most people give up God and walk away. They say, this is not real. There's no power in it. I've got this sin in me that's a part of who I am. Some people say I am born with it, and perhaps they are. I've never argued that. I believe in generational sin, that we are born with weaknesses and predispositions to certain sins. And they give up and they say, I cannot do it. And most people walk out of the church, out of God, away from Jesus, and never return. Some people, the hardy ones, they stay in the church, but the older they get, the more bitter they get. As preacher after preacher comes through the church talking about the victory that is theirs, the victory that they have never been able to experience. They stay in the church and they get 
old and they get bitter and nasty and angry. And I'm a pastor and I've come, a few, I've come across a few of them. Church boards and church business meetings, watch out, hold on to your hat because there's going to be fire from those sorts of people because they're disappointed and they're discouraged and they're stuck in something that doesn't work. And why would you want to be stuck in church or in a system or with a God that does not work? It's so sad. You know, a lot of people even, when they follow this through to its nth degree, they're so desperate to escape and they can't, they commit suicide. It's so sad. So what I'm talking to you about tonight is very important. At the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul says this, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, what does he mean? So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And the chapter ends and people stop reading it there and it's a disaster. It's like getting to the last over of a 2020 cricket match between Australia and England where Australia is on top and it looks like Australia's going to win and the TV goes blank and you never find out who won the match. Very frustrating. Well, I thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord, Lord, verse 25. Well, yeah, okay, but what does that mean? And then he goes back and reiterates a problem. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Well, what's the answer, Paul? You know, in 1551, there was a guy by the name of Robert Stevens, and he was riding from Switzerland to France. Not such a long way, but back then would have been a long way. Might, might have taken a, a week, two weeks, I don't know, some time. And on the way, he's riding on horseback. He actually gets in the Bible and he splits it, would you believe, into chapters and verses. Now, when he splits it into chapters and verses, and thank you, Lord, for Robert Stevens, because it makes it easy to get into the Bible. But sometimes he split the chapter where it shouldn't be split. And Romans 7 should not be split where it is. In fact, Romans 7 and Romans 8 should go together. One whole chapter. But Robert Stevens, in his wisdom, split it. And people stop reading at chapter 7, they never go on to chapter 8, and so they never find out the answer of how to give up sin that I'm trying to give up and I can't. But it's in Romans 8, look at this. This is it, bingo, kaboom. Romans 8 verse 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. We know that if you come to Jesus, this is a Jesus who saves. This is a gospel that saves. If you come to Jesus Christ, then you will not be condemned and you repent. You will not be condemned for the sin that you're struggling with. So right now, tonight, get on your knees and, and repent of the sin that you've... I don't care if you've had it for one week, one month, one year, ten years, a lifetime. You get on your knees tonight and repent. The moment you repent, Jesus will save you. That's what he says. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, look at this. And because you belong to him, and here's the answer, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Listen to me. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ and when you repent, you can be loaded down with sin, sin that you cannot overcome, sin that has overwhelmed you, sin that has only ever defeated you time after time after time. You can have a sin in your heart, sins in your life that you have never had the victory on, not once, not ever. You give your heart to Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Godhead. He sends the Holy Spirit, God himself, to you. And he comes into your mind, 
and He comes into your heart and He possesses you. Now, more than that, not only does He send Him, I think we need to continue in our lives every day to ask for the Holy Spirit. Here it is, Luke chapter 11. I probably read this scripture more than any other. It's so powerful. Verses 11 through to 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask for the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead, ask. He will come to you. The reason we've got the gospel that saves, but not the gospel that frees, is because we don't ask for the Holy Spirit. Look at this, Romans 8. This is the chapter we miss. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, that's how you may be right now. You haven't come to Jesus, you haven't repented, and you haven't got the Holy Spirit. And if you're not in a converted relationship with Jesus Christ, you're dominated by the sinful nature. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you get dominated by Him, and you will start to think of Jesus You'll start to think of things of the Spirit. You'll start to get in your Bible and spend time with Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead you there. You'll start to spend more time on your knees in prayer. The Holy Spirit will lead you there. But more than that, Romans 8 verse 6, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit, that's why you ask Him, control your mind leads to life and peace. Here I am, Lord. I have repented. You have saved me. Praise God. Now I ask for the Holy Spirit to come and control me and to possess me. And when you do that, He comes. He'll begin to talk to you. He'll begin to speak to you. He'll begin to lead you. He'll begin to show you the way out to freedom. This is what the Bible promises. Romans 8 verse 9, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature anymore. Why not? You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. That's why you need to ask morning and night. And whenever you think about it, here I am, Lord, I'm open. Send the Holy Spirit. Jesus died to do this for you. He will send the Holy Spirit. You will feel Him. You will experience Him. You will see Him. It's so powerful. Verse 12 to 14. Therefore, dear brothers, and this is important and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So when you get tempted, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. I like this because when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, the devil can no longer tempt you from within. He has to tempt you from without because only the Holy Spirit can live inside of you, not two forces, only the Spirit. So already the temptation is less than it was. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. So when he comes, you say no. Learn to say no. It might not feel good, well, say no anyway. Your sinful flesh could be craving for the sin, say no anyway. 
And as you're saying no, you tell Jesus, I'm yours. The Spirit is inside of me. Thank you, Lord. And the Holy Spirit will give you power. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. So if you live by the sinful nature, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. How do you put to death your sinful nature, the temptation? How do you put to death this sin that's got a hold of you that you can't overcome? Well, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He will convict you of sin. When He convicts you, and this is where I often fall down, and you need to hear this. This is pretty, probably the most important thing I'll say tonight. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, obey Him. You obey Him whether it feels good or not. You obey Him whether you want to or not. You've given your will to God. You've repented. The Holy Spirit is there. Obey Him. And as you obey Him, it can hurt to obey Him. It's hard to obey Him. Everything in your experience won't want to obey Him, but He's convicting you. Obey Him. And when you obey Him, He is crushing the sin inside of you. And gradually, He's strangling. The Holy Spirit is strangling that sin. And it has less and less and less of a hold on you day by day, week by week, month by month, as you tackle this sin with the Holy Spirit and you obey. That's a, that, that is a very unpopular concept in this, in this world today. Submit and obey. And when you submit your will, that means, I am yours, God. Holy Spirit, come inside of me. When you submit and then you obey, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I don't want to. Man, I've had sins on me, temptations that are crushing me. I want to do it. The sin, the temptation gives me pleasure. It's something I could have formed a habit of. I want it. I want to experience it again. But the Holy Spirit says, no, I submit my will and say, I will obey him. So no, it is. I'll even go through the pain of the withdrawal as the Holy Spirit strengthens me and leads me out of the sin. Obey, obey, obey. And when you do that, this is where you end up. Romans 8.31, it's the end of the story. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? You do this, I don't care what sin, it does not matter what temptation you're getting hit by, you do this, you will win, you will win, you will win every time. Submit to God. Repent of your sins, submit to God, invite the Holy Spirit in, and then obey. You can't lose. You get victory every time. Let's pray. Lord, we are sinners and we are weak. We cannot defeat Satan alone. We have temptations. We have sins in our lives. Some bring us great joy and pleasure. We want but Lord, tonight we come before you and we repent of those sins, whatever they are. And if you have that sin right now, name it to God. I'll give you a second. Name the sin to God in prayer. Name the sins to God in prayer that the Spirit's already convicting you of. Name them right now. Lord, we've named those sins. We've repented of them. Please send the Holy Spirit and Lord... As we hear him talk to us, and as he convicts us, help us to submit and to obey, even when we don't want to. To obey for life is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's a beautiful song. And was I right, listeners? How good was that message? The trouble with me. Anyway, it's my favourite segment now, Ask the Aussie Pastor. And if you haven't sent us a question, we'd love to hear from you. You might not get it in today, but certainly for next week. And if you want to send us a question, we'd love to receive it. You can text them to us on 0488-880-851 or you can email them to us. And the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail.com. All righty, Lloyd, you ready to go, mate? Here we go. First question. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Uh, we had that the other week. Oh, did we? We did. Huh. So this is twice. Well, uh, get the, a better answer there, eh? <laughs> the, the answer is, for those who never heard the, the answer last time, I don't know. Remember? Huh. I don't know. I don't know why he hasn't come back. Um, I'm not, I, I, I don't have a, a road straight into the mind of Jesus. Uh, I don't know why God hasn't made the decision. Uh, I'm patient. I don't wait that long anyway. I'm, I'm 60 years old in the next week or two. I haven't got that much longer left on this earth. So I'm not waiting that long anyway. So I'm not getting tired of waiting simply because I haven't waited that long, hunty. It's not like I've been waiting for 2,000 years. So how will we know? How will we know when Jesus is going to come back? We won't. We can only look at some of the signs that Matthew 24 and Luke 21 tell us, and they're all there. What are the signs? So, Oh, well, there's a whole heap of them. Wars, what's the, what's the biggest wars, one? The gospel to the world, the story of Jesus to the world. is, And when that happens, he says he'll come back. So that's one of the reasons I'm in radio and social media and all these other areas that that get to millions of people. Um it's, it's 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 not to be famous because we're not famous, aren't we? We're nobodies. <laughs> nobodies, that's it. But God does use us in his wisdom and his mercy and his grace, really, hunty, yep. to get out to millions of people because as soon as everybody's heard the story of Jesus, then he said he will come. And so how far away is that? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe you're hearing the story of Jesus today on this radio show for the first time. Well, guess what? You are a part of the fulfillment of a prophecy where Jesus said, when I've taken, when you've taken the gospel to the world, then I'll come. So I don't know why he hasn't come, hunty. Can't answer that. Uh, I hope he comes soon. Hmm. Okay. Is God against people being rich and isn't that selfish? I've heard that one again too. Oh. <laughs> I think we might be asking some of the same questions. <laughs> I All think, right. Well, why do people who claim God <laughs> let's, still let's go suffer back. so I mean, much. there's yep. new people, there's okay. new people yep. on this. I don't mind answering the same questions two times right. in a row. Rich people, why doesn't... Let's go, no, no, let's no. go back. Let's go back. What was it again? Yeah, is God against people being rich? Hope not. Because um, I'm isn't not that, I'm not rich. Isn't that selfish? That, that yeah. Yeah. No, it's not selfish to be rich. Some people have a gift for business, have a gift to make money. Um, I think God gives them that gift. and So I don't think it's selfish to be rich or poor. I've met people who are poor who are selfish. I've met people who are rich that are selfish. Perhaps sometimes it's a bit more difficult for someone who's rich to be uh, uh, um, kind and generous, hunty. Mm. But I don't think God's against people who are rich because uh, Job was rich, David was rich, Moses was rich, Abraham was rich. There's a lot of rich people in the Bible, and God loved them, and God used them powerfully. Can, but Jesus does say yeah. it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven 
than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Tell me about that camel hunt. Yeah, I was just because you've say, been to Jerusalem. Yeah, they, they had big city walls uh, back in Bible times, and they would close the main gates at sunset to stop the marauding hordes and other armies from invading. And they had a little tiny door just to the left or right of the big main gates. And it was just big enough to let one person through at a time. And for a camel to get through, it was quite difficult. So it was nicknamed the Eye of the Needle. Yeah, and, and it was very difficult for a camel because he'd have to kneel down. And yeah, and, and hobble across and slither across. and Yeah, and Jesus right. said, so it's not impossible for a camel to get through that gate. But mm. if you're rich, look, the best thing I can say is whether you're rich or poor, be generous. Look at a way that you can use your money, rich or poor, to help people to live a better life on this planet. And there's a lot of poverty out there. I'm on Facebook. I have a lot of people contact me want help financially with yep. money. Yep. I don't have it to give away. But if I was a billionaire, I'd hire someone to give my money away, like they, like a lot of them do. Honey. Yeah, I mean, that's right. There's some really rich guys out there doing great things. So God yep. is not against rich people. And if you're a rich, God bless you. Use your money to help others so that when you get old and eventually you die, you can look back on your life and you say, well, it wasn't just a life of pleasure. It was a life well lived. And by the way, these questions are being answered again. It's not Hunty's fault. It's mine. No, no. Just I, so I thought I'd I thought I'd fess up there, these, these next ones I don't think you've had before. Do you don't usually do that. Uh, no, uh, right. You ran through them five minutes before and I wasn't listening properly. I've got, I've got a big bucket of questions. Let me, yeah. let me throw the next one at you. I've yep. got cancer and my doctor wants me to do chemo, but I want to just let God heal me. What do you reckon? It's a hard one. Um, yeah. Me personally, I'd go down the route with the doctor. Really? Take the chemo? Yeah, the reason being is because I think God gives us science and doctors and medicine to help. Can I? And I think, yeah, you can in a second, but okay. <laughs> when, 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 um, I, and I think God wants us to do what we can, and then He usually comes in and makes up the difference. Okay. So I would suggest that, yes, because your life is on the line, because this is a very important thing, I would strongly suggest do what your doctor says. Let I, me, I've always said that. Let me be, let me twist the knife in a little bit. For a lot of people, the chemo pathway is painful, they lose their taste. Not for a lot of people, smell. for everyone. Yeah, and so if you've decided that's not a pathway for me, I don't want to go out bald head, pain, not tasting my food, and I'm I'm done. What do you think God says about that? Should, should you be allowed to be let go? Uh, yeah. But I'd still encourage you to go to the doctor because I think life's very, very And he's asked the Aussie pastor, which you are. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would still say go to your doctor because I think life is very precious and I think you're loved and people need you. Uh, and if you can save your life, do it. And if you've got cancer, because I know there's a lot of people listening out there who have, God be with you. You are on a great journey. It's a journey of difficulty. You have our prayers. You have our sympathies and our empathy. And I pray that God will will walk very closely with you through this very difficult journey. And in the end, Hunty is right to an extent. The decision is yours anyway, and God will lead you in that decision, and he'll walk with you through whatever you decide. I think we've got time for one more. Um, I have remarried. According to the Bible, am I committing adultery? Is that true? Um, God is for marriage. There is a, a verse, and I can't pull it up where it is exactly, Hunty, right now, where God says, I hate divorce. Because God made marriage. Back in the beginning of the world, um, if you believe in creation as I do, if you believe in the Bible account, it was God who made it. So he made marriage, and he made mar marriage to last. Now, sometimes things happen in marriage, uh, and the marriage becomes irreconcilable. 
Um, I found the text for you, Malachi 2.16. Yeah. Good on you, Hunter. Um, for God says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's clear. Mm. Um, but things can happen that make a marriage irre- irreconcilable. I remember once I, I went around to someone's place and I the guy was bashing his wife. Oh, well, that's... That's abuse. That cannot, that cannot be accepted for a second. No, marriage is irreconcilable. Um, mm. Adultery, fornication. Although even in that situation, if you're suffering it, if you can forgive and if the other partner who's committed the crime, if they can and want to stay with you, I'd still encourage you, Hunty, to do everything you can to, to find solutions there. But there's no doubt Jesus himself said for adultery, fornication, for these sorts of things, for abuse, these are marriage breakers and you can remarry. But do everything you can, as long as you're safe, hunty, mm-hmm. to keep the marriage together. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of marriage and I think we marry for life. But let's face it, mate, there are some things that are irreconcilable. you got time for one more. I know I do, but both, both you and I are on our second marriages. Yeah. So we're not at all saying that it's wrong, are we? It can be wrong. Yeah. It can be wrong. There's, there's only certain things biblically where God allows for remarriage. But if you have remarried, there are some things we do in life which you can't go back on. You, you just go to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness and you've got to move on with your new partner. Um, but if you haven't remarried and you're thinking about it, well, then I would encourage you to go to the Bible and, and go to God in prayer and see what he says because in the end he's the only one who matters when it comes to these decisions. And if he gives you the blessing, go ahead. If he doesn't and it's against the word, the scripture, well, then you've got a, a very serious choice to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God does hate divorce. He loves marriage and he wants mm-hmm. to save marriage. But I just want to stress if we finish this again, and we are out of time, hunty, um, <clears throat> really there is... There are times where marriages should break down and they should separate and they should go their different ways. And, and, and when that happens and it's biblical, you can remarry. All righty. Well, you know what? We've got time for one more song. Through the Fire. Yeah. The Crab Family. Times I've questioned certain circumstances or things I could not understand. And many times in trials, weakness blurs my vision. Then my frustration gets so out of hand. But it's then I am reminded. I've never been forsaken I've never had to stand one test alone That's when I look at all the victories And the Spirit rises up in me And it's through the bar my witness is made strong He never promised that the cross would not
great song. It is a beautiful song. Um, I've been listening to that song for a while, Hunty. Yep. In fact, talking about divorce, I first came across that song when I was going through divorce. Oh, and, wow. And it encouraged me because it said, although you're going through the fire, hold on, Jesus will get you through. And if that's what you're going on, remember Jesus will get you through. I want to invite you to church, my church, in northwest Sydney in Quakers Hill this Saturday. Worship begins at 10 a.m. Uh, I'll be getting up at around 11 a.m. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about a very important subject. It's about how you're saved. It's interesting, it's relevant, and it's vibrant. Thanks for coming. I'm going to pray. Lord, bless us now as we go our way. May your presence go with us. May we experience you this week is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor and I love you. And my name's Hunty and I love you too. But you know what? Jesus, he loves you so much more. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, always to support us, go to findjesus.tv.